What are you eating, Jim? <laughs> you caught me. Uh, Breakfast of Champions, Tootsie Roll. Okay. You didn't one, have of my, one of my favorite candies from way back in the day. I got a, uh, they, they sell these little teeny tiny um, banks, right? Like change banks that you can get in the grocery store. They have like 20 of these little midges in them. And uh, it's a great way to get a quick snack and not have to buy like a gigantic bag of them. That's um, right. You're three hours ahead when we're recording this. So you're already yeah. in Time. I just finished my corned beef and cabbage dinner. Mm. Sounds good. Cool. God, I, I love it. I love yeah. it. Happy anyway. holidays to you. Haven't talked to you in a minute. So happy holidays. Thanks. Thanks. We just get all together. Culturally, my family's never, never uh, celebrating the traditional ones, but we definitely get together and pig out on food since everyone's off. So I love this time of year. It's my favorite time. Nice. To be home and enjoy the fire and yeah good stuff and we actually have rain happening in california and snow so it's really nice cool very yeah. cool it's very good weather's good where you're at i know the east coast is getting pounded lately yeah actually it's been pretty mild here i'm in virginia and uh, we had uh, it's been it's been mid 40s and 50s most of the most of the last week or so rained a little bit today so it's a little cold right now but uh, it's supposed to warm up again later in the week so yeah the, the weather's all over the place thanks to global warming uh, so who knows what's going to happen <laughs> right right exactly well at least we we have retreat and we have things to do indoors like star trek adventures role playing which is of you course why we're here today in episode six of continuing conversations um for, for yeah that's a cool woo. <laughs> hope i didn't talk over your woo. that was really good <laughs> that's all right for those who may have uh, just started watching this or listening to it um this is the podcast video cast all about star trek adventures and it includes talking about our latest releases um right now we've been breaking down the game master's guide um we highlight professionals uh, we're going to be highlighting professionals in the star trek adventures world and talking pretty much about all things star trek um i'm michael dismuke i'm a freelance writer for star trek adventures and um, also just your all-around geek. And uh, Jim Johnson here, he is a writer, gamer, Star Trek Adventures project manager. Um, I'm, I've said you, you're a popcorn lover, lover 100 times. Is that, are you still a popcorn lover? You bet. That's my, uh, that's my number one, number one go-to snack uh, as much as possible. So it's, uh, it's uh, something I've enjoyed long, long, long time in my life. And uh, yep, I am uh, definitely a popcorn lover. That's good to know. That's really good to know. I'm going to remember that at some point. You probably find every <laughs> variety out there, right? Yeah. Cool. Well, popcorn is definitely the best thing to do when you're watching movies, which is one type of story. But today we are focusing about chapter five of the Game Master's Guide about Star Trek storytelling. Why did you think it was important to include this chapter in the book? Uh, well, <clears throat> you know, Star Trek is storytelling, right? It's a television show. It's a movie series. It's all about story. Um, I, mean, I mean, it's all about the characters first, but it's about the characters doing stuff, right? And that's what the story's all about. Uh, so it's been around for 55 years, and uh, there's over 800 episodes now. So there's probably, we're, we're closing in on a thousand hours of Star Trek story, not to mention all the thousands of novels and comic books and video games and every other kind of story out there. So it's, uh, you know, St Star Trek storytelling, it's been around for a long time. 
And uh, I think, you know, while it is a science fiction setting, there's a very specific way of telling a Star Trek story, and especially in a role-playing game context. And I wanted, I wanted to devote a chapter to, 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 to that, not, not so much to tell people how to do it right, but just how to do it well. Yeah, I mean, there's some trink, uh, some some really good uh, treasures and tips in here. So we're going to go ahead and start reviewing them now. Sure. Again, um, first, anybody who's this is your first time playing Star Trek Adventures, or even more so, your first time game mastering. There's some highlights in here I wanted to really point out. Um, one one thing, let's just start off describing the difference between a campaign and a standalone mission. Let's start with that piece, Jim. And, and why is that important to you, Phil, that we had to define that in this chapter? Yeah, and I, I guess we want to aim this at the new at the new GM, right? Because we don't want to <laughs> frighten them away right away, right? So like, I mean, uh, any RPG, any role-playing game, any tabletop role-playing game that you're playing online or at the table with your friends, like there's a couple of basic ways of doing it, right? You can do a one-shot, which is you get together for a few hours, you tell one, one discrete story and you're done whether it's like a convention uh, module or it's a, it's a one-off adventure or it's just a quick get-together, whatever. That's a standalone single mission uh, adventure for that you, know, you do in one night. Uh, there's a, there's a, a way you can do a, a, a single adventure over several sessions, like maybe it takes you three or four sessions to do one of our published missions or a, uh, um, another module of some sort. And then a campaign is where you're actually stringing a whole bunch of these together week after week or session after session however whatever your time frame is to get together and uh if you so you know if you think about it in the tv sense like next gen ds9 the original series those are you know in this concept they those are campaigns right the original series was a campaign of three seasons and 79 episodes so you know if you were thinking of all those characters being player characters you know the game master took those seven player characters through a campaign that lasted three seasons and then actually, I guess they came back for a bunch of one shots. <laughs> if, you, if you think the movies are, are like uh, cinematic stories, right? So, uh, and then Next Generation, of course, was a was a long term campaign of seven seasons. Um, you know, DS Nine seven seasons. You know, so on and so forth. So the big difference is, you know, a single mission, single single episode, very very short, very self contained. Campaigns can go as long as you and your players can stand it, right? Basically, yeah. as long as as long as you have the storytelling chops for it. Yeah, don't want to intimidate people either because yeah. you can take a what was a campaign, like say, for instance, you mentioned TNG or Voyager, and you can still treat them like standalone missions in that maybe you only have time to get with, together with your friends once a year. You know the characters well, do a standalone mission with those characters. Um, so, so this chapter is a really good chapter because if you read it, you're not going to be so overwhelmed if it's your first time putting together your game. Another thing that we put on 126 was about mission modification. So I know, um, you know, I've seen it happen where somebody gets a module for the first time and they kind of get stuck to it like glue and they don't know what to do, but this chapter here, you talked about ways we could, well, I actually wrote it, but <laughs> you, you put it in the book. Um, what are some of the highlights you found about the mission modifications that people need to do when they grab a module or they grab a campaign book? Yeah. And so that's, that, and that's kind of getting at why we built this chapter, why we wrote this chapter, right? Is that uh, Star Trek is a little different in that, you know, there's other RPGs out there, of course, where you can buy a pre, pre-written campaign or came, uh, pre-written module and make some, make some, or just run it pretty much as is. I take your play, group of player characters, run it, you're done. And, uh, you know, just as an example, you know, I love, I love Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, you can buy any pre-made Dungeons and Dragons, you know, module with whatever group of characters you have. 
and pretty much run them through it without doing a whole lot of modification to the module because it's D&D, right? There's, you know, I'm sure some people out there are going to be very frustrated at me saying that, but uh, um, by and large, you know, you don't have to make a lot of modifications to it because your archetypal characters can do stuff and it's not really dependent on it. Whereas with, you know, Star Trek, you know, you're, it's all about the characters, right? And there's not a single RP, there's not a single Star Trek module out there that can predict what any given game group is going to be able to bring to the table, right? So you've got to make some modifications to it. You've got to, you got to make some sort of revisions to it to make it um, fit your group of characters, if not fit your campaign. So, you know, if you're, if you're running a one-off or a one-shot episode, or you're running for convention or something, you, you really don't have to do any modification really, other than just adapt it for who's at the table. Like if you have uh, four player characters at your table and you've got a, I don't know, a chief medical officer or a security officer, an engineer and a captain, and there's a big thing in the, uh, in the pre-written episode for, you know, the chief flight officer to do, then just, you know, make that modification. That's not, that's not difficult, right? That's just making sure you're keeping everybody entertained who's there. <clears throat> but, you know, as you get into it, um, you know, you may need to make more extensive modifications and that's not necessarily a fault of the, of the writer writing the pre-written camp, the pre-written module. It's just that there are, there are tens and, I mean, maybe even hundreds of thousands of gaming groups out there right now playing Star Trek Adventures, and there's no possible chance anybody's going to be able to write one that's going to be custom fit to everybody. You've got to make a little bit of modifications to it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so we put a little formula in here to do yeah. that. We're talking about verifying your era, confirming your scene locations, adjusting your non-player characters and actually focusing on the mission objectives. And when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about jazz music, you know, I love jazz mm -hmm. and most jazz players, you know, it's not a like classical music where you have to be a perfectionist and hit every note. Mm -hmm. You get a chord structure. Now that chord structure is just going to play underlined. And you're, if you're given a clarinet or a piano or a guitar, mm -hmm. you're going to play your own notes along that chord structure and it all comes together. Right, and right. these modules are designed the same way. Just look at the beats. We call them the beats mm -hmm. or the scenes and say, okay, I can adapt that by tweaking this character and changing the year. And Oh, there aren't phasers available at this time in my era. Cause I'm playing an early era. And just, I, I actually go through and highlight what I can use. And then I back away from the module because it may not fit every piece of it. And I, but I get enough of the flavor that my players are like, Oh yeah, I played that module. I met the major characters. I hit that major plot line. Um, and this box on 126 kind of talks about doing that. And yeah. Yeah. The only other, the only other, I mean, great, great, great synopsis. The only other thing I'd add is that the, um, about the era, like if you're a new GM to the game and you're checking out some of the pre-written adventures that are out there, whether they're in the books, the two, uh, the two adventure books or any of the PDFs that we've released, you know, don't, don't feel, um, um, shy about using something that's not in the era you're playing, right? Like if you're playing an original series campaign, by all means, check out the, check out the next generation era adventures because yeah. I mean, it, it, they're pretty, I mean, even though the writer wrote it with the intention of it being in the next gen era, for the most part, everything can be, can be modified either forward or backward in the timeline. And uh, I don't, I mean, I, for the most part, I don't think there's anything that we've published over the last four years that can't be, you know, picked up wholesale and dropped into a different era with minor modifications. I, I think, I mean, that's just Star Trek. Good storytelling is good storytelling, no matter what era you're playing in. So don't let yeah. this, don't let the, don't let the set dressing fool you, right? Don't let the layout fool you that uh, even though it looks like next gen that you can't use it because uh, of course you can use it. You just have to make a little bit of a little work to make it work.
Yeah, I don't even trip about the era. Honestly, I know I've played all over the place with my group and they can't tell the difference. I'm, I'm grabbing <laughs> major plot lines or, man, I love that scientific concept and I want to pull that into my game, which mm-hmm. is Speaking of which, you know, as a game master, you're building the outline for the game and you may have in your mind how the story is about to play out and how you think the character should go. And we actually talk about railroading in this chapter. And what's railroading for someone who's a new game master and why do we want to avoid it? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting is there was a recent conversation online about railroading. And the person who posed the question was like, what's railroading? I don't know what railroading is. And they got like 40 different answers. (laughs) And I was like, wow, boy, everybody has an opinion on it. But in my opinion, anyway, railroading is where as a game master, you're running your players through an adventure. And for the most part, like what they do really doesn't matter because you have them on a path that they're going to go from A to B to C to D to E to the finale. And no matter what choices they make, they're still going to get there. It reminds me of, of a lot of the older um, uh, video games, especially like first-person shooters, right. um, that literally you could see the rails. Like there was only so much you could yeah. explore within the setting or within the level or whatever. And you're like, you were going to go from point A to point B to point C. And uh, and, and that's a fine you know game concept for certain circumstances. But for, for an RPG, when you're at the table and you want your characters to have agency, Right. And you want to have agency. You, like you want to go into that episode feeling like you made a difference, uh, like like you made a choice and you made a meaningful difference. Uh, you know, railroading just kind of, you know, honestly kind of sucks. Right. Because you're like, yeah. you're like, I, I could I could have not shown up and it still would have happened. Right. It's almost like the the GM wrote a novel and you just happen to be along for the ride. Right. And that's yeah, that's just not is. a lot of fun. Yeah, when I was like 13 or 15 years old, starting, you know, to, to GM, I definitely railroaded because like, I got to see this fight between yeah. these two characters. And then one dice roll and my character gets knocked down in one thing. Yeah. And I sat there like, uh, yeah, yeah we all experienced <laughs> that. And if you do as a game master actually get a little stuck, maybe they twist your plot a little bit. Mm-hmm. Claim a bathroom break. Say, excuse me, I got to, you know. Go to restroom break. <laughs> Sit there on the toilet and be like, okay, I got to rework this really quick. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's not an unusual thing to happen to game masters, right? Cool. It, yeah. Michael, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that. I, I, I wish, you know, now in retrospect, I wish we had put that into the book somewhere because uh, uh, bathroom breaks have saved me on countless occasions in, yeah. uh, in games. And it was just like, it was just like, yeah, you're right. You're literally just sitting there like, okay. The players did this. I've got I've got two minutes to to work something out here, and then you just spin your brain, you figure it out, and then you get back to the table, and then you do something amazing. And the players have no idea, right? They have they just they just think it was just part of the part of the whole thing. And you're like, yeah, you can sit back and go, yeah, I made it work. <laughs> but yeah, remember, you know, yeah. you're the director and the co-writer of this RPG. Yeah. If you had a really good idea, you can bring it back later. I had, mm. and literally, this is true to my game. I had an idea that came up about two years ago, I thought we were going to hit and we didn't get a chance to hit it till just recently. And it was just yeah. as good. And so, you know, patience pays, pays off. Absolutely. So the last three points that were in, well, there's a lot of gold in here, by the way, I just reread it today, this chapter. I was like, wow, I forgot we put that in there. Yeah. What I want to do is talk about the three types of campaigns people can build. And this would be the mission scale storytelling, the season scale storytelling, and the campaign scale storytelling. And the reason I want to highlight this is because for new game masters coming in, do it the right way. Like, don't, my point being like, don't build this big epic in your mind and people are only going to commit for one game. 
Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the definition between these three so the game masters can make the right selection going in. What's mission scale storytelling? Yeah, okay. So just the basic de- basic definitions first, then I guess we'll go into more detail. Uh, so mission scale is just you're you're looking at it one mission at a time. What's what's the one episode you're gonna run? What's the one ep- what's the one adventure? What what's the one uh mission brief or standalone adventure or like what's the one single story that you're gonna tell with your group, whether it's uh one session one session or maybe it takes you two or three sessions, whatever. Uh, so that's mission scale, just one discrete little moment, right? one episode from the TV series, any one episode. Uh, and then you get into season scale, and that is where you're taking uh, several episodes and you're stringing them together into a quote-unquote season. However long that season is, is up to you and your group. Uh, it's up to the GM to some extent because the GM is the one committing the bulk of the time and effort to preparing it. So if you have something that you think you could you know, structure into a season, a great example would be uh, uh, Star Trek Discovery's uh, second season, right? That was a very discreet story that they told from beginning to end over the course of what, 15, 16 episodes or something. And uh, it had a very clear through line. And that was one discrete story that that one season, there was a lot of subplots and stuff that uh, hung off of it. But uh, overall season two is pretty much a standalone season that you could, you know, call us a story. And I'd like um, to compare that yeah. to the living campaign, which could mm-hmm. be considered, um, uh, which could be considered a season scaled storytelling. So your friends may just get together to do the living campaign, which is in the Shackleton expanse guide. That could be one season, right? It could be. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on how the, how the group wanted to, to, to run it. And I'm sure we'll talk about the Shackleton expanse in, in future, future episodes. But uh, I think the, um, the, especially the book that just came out, I mean, you could, uh, a GM with, uh, with uh, some aspirations could probably turn that into a campaign uh, or even multiple campaigns, right? Depending. And that so gets to the campaign. third. Yeah, yeah, separate the season versus the campaign for me. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll uh, we'll cover that one too. So the, so the first scale, of course, is mission scale, and then season scale, which is one season's worth of episodes that tell a discrete story, and then uh, a campaign is just that is that is that blown up even further, where you're planning multiple seasons, multiple storylines. You've got stuff happening from from beginning to end, and somehow, well, actually, they don't necessarily have the link, but they're all it's all one big story. So it's like, you know, if you look at next generation, that is a seven season campaign. Uh, original series is a three season campaign. Plus the animated series, if you want to include that, plus the movies. Um, Discovery is currently in its fourth season of its campaign. <laughs> so a, a campaign is just a much bigger, broader story. And uh, I guess if I was going to caution GMs about anything is like, it's great to have big ideas and to have like these grand expectations of where you want your campaign to be, but realize that like in the real world, uh, people have conflicts and people move and things change and uh, people drop in and out of campaigns all the time or, you know, uh, games all the time. So, you know, if you're hinging everything on your, you know, say your captain character player character and they get sick of the game and they, they quit, <laughs> then what happens to your campaign, right? The, the, all your hopes and dreams have crashed. And like, I, I'm sure every game master has had that kind of moment before, right? So. Well, so now we need to brag, but without intimidating new game masters. So Jim, your longest campaign, how long did it last in real time? Uh, 45 episodes over three real, three, three real years. So it took three years for us to go through 45 episodes. And those 45 episodes were broken into, uh, 15 episode seasons. So we did three seasons over three years. I, I beat you. Wow. I didn't think I was going to. So mine was. Oh, that, that, that's my longest one. I mean, I, I've been doing wow. Star Trek gaming forever, but okay. <laughs> one See, discreet campaign was three years. Okay. So my, my, yeah. 
My Star Trek Adventures is now, I think we're in the 40s also. And we started back in 2018, 2017, yeah. 2018. But my longest was a Marvel superheroes that ran for 28 years with the same people. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I can't even count how many episodes I had to write. I, I volumes of, of story. Yeah. <laughs> but not to intimidate new game masters, but just saying yeah. if you build something really good and have a good crew, it, it's a life changing uh, experience. It's yeah, really absolutely. Absolutely. All right, cool. So thank you for defining those um, three types of storytelling. Uh, again, that was mission scale, season scale, and campaign scale. Again, this chapter has a lot about how to construct it. I'm just going to highlight a couple things in here that I thought were gold, Jim, and maybe you you know, can then highlight yours. One of the things I really enjoyed was talking and teaching new game masters how to frame the action. And how I picture it was... Um, I do American Sign Language. I'm fluent in American Sign Language. And the grammatical structure of American Sign Language is very play-driven. And what I mean by that is you set the actors here, you paint the scene, you, you talk about what color everything is, you set the tone with your hands, and then you basically go action, and then everything starts moving. And then the hands kind of direct and drag players across the story. And I felt that this chapter encapsulated the same thing about set the scene, and then everyone ready to go? Action. You have any questions before we start? What color is that? Or who's standing where? You're good? Action. And then you go into it. So I thought that was a really good chapter there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I know I know you're not doing this intentionally because I know you, but I think you wrote most of that chapter. <laughs> no, I didn't actually. I didn't write that one at all. Didn't you? I thought you did. No. Gosh, was that I, me? God, I, I can't even remember now who, who wrote, wrote what. I, it, it blends all together. But I was I was confident you had written a no. good chunk of this. I, I, think, I think you were not you and I were fighting over this chapter a little I bit. I think we did. I'll point out the parts I did right, but this well, definitely was not me. And maybe that's right. why I was so impressed. <laughs> it's great advice, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, I, I don't have anything to add other than to say I agree with you completely that uh, framing the action and then getting into it is really important. And I think that's something for a new well, for new GMs and especially existing GMs is really important to keep in mind for Star Trek Adventures specifically, is that um the entire game. And a lot of the mechanics are really built around scenes, scenes and encounters. It's like it's it's like if you watch a TV, one of the Star Trek episodes, any Star Trek episode, you'll see it's like it's traditional television, right? It's scene after scene after scene after scene after scene, and they they do different kind of cuts from one scene to another scene. Um, there's there's transitions, there's scene transitions, there's 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 beats and there's moments of where like the scene's done, you move on to the next one. You don't kind of right you know walk through the motions to the next scene you're like you cut it you move you cut it you move and um a lot now of that them, piece i did right yeah. now that piece about cut scenes i did yeah. actually you remember writing that portion because i do a little research mm -hmm. on how cinematic directors choose cut scenes and that's on page 135 and that was actually fun <laughs> and i've been employing it since i had to write it i've been really employing it with my team and it has heightened the suspense and tension mm -hmm. um, of each scene which has been really cool yeah, but if you're paying attention, um, you know, players and game masters, a lot of the mechanics in the game, like especially some of the the talents, um, are really dependent on to the end of the scene or in the next scene or to the end of the scene or whatever. So, you know, Nathan, when he built this uh, system, he was really, really careful to say, look, the scene is the most important building block of your episodes, right? Make those scenes effective and happening. And that's where all the mechanics are playing into it, including like, uh, you know, momentum and determination and threat, right? Like your momentum players carefully spending momentum can manipulate how that scene plays out. Right. And so, uh, you know, keep in mind, you know, if anything, you know, read the, read the chapters on scenes <laughs> because the, as a player, the more you understand how a scene works, 
the, the more the better the, the episodes in a flow and it'll make your GM's life much easier. Agreed. Agreed. And part of that too um, is mentioned in here is about really how to adjust the rules mm-hmm. um, to fit the scene also. Um, and I'm trying to figure like, Sometimes in the modules, suggested tasks are written down, like do this, roll that, pair that. But are you saying we have to adhere to that all the time? No. What was the point of this chapter? Um, I think, I guess, man, the over, (laughs) I'm uh, falling over my words here. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, It was really just don't feel like you have to be chained to the mechanics, right? I mean, yes, it's a game. But it's a role-playing game, and and this this whole system is really one big massive toolkit, and and use the tools that you need to use in the moment. Like if 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 traditionally, or if like the rules as written say do it this way, but it just doesn't fit the moment that you're in. Just you know do what works and make yeah. it work, and then tell your uh, you know tell your players we're just gonna we're gonna let this one glide. You know. Yeah, here's a common question that I'll get from my players. You know, we'll say, okay, I need you to do, you know, a reason plus engineering task difficulty two. And a player will say, can I use con instead of engineering? Because I think I would know about the engines because I'm a I'm a pilot. I'm like, okay, yeah, go ahead. It's no big deal, you know. And or can I apply this focus? And I'm like, well, how does that apply? And they come up with a reason why this particular focus would apply in this situation. I'm like, okay. I'm a very yes and kind of, you know, uh, yeah. game master unless it's a total conflict. And so as new game masters, um, don't be a, such a stickler with the rules. Give them flexibility to encourage the creativity of your players is the point yeah. I got from that piece. Yeah, yeah. Because the last thing you want to do, I mean, this is true for any game. It, it, the last thing you want to do is have a really cool scene flowing and have your players invested in it and excited and then have everything grind to a halt because you have to go flip through a book to find rule on page 236 or whatever it's like just you know make it up and if you get it wrong it's okay they'll forgive you they'll just you know after the after the show's done you know say oh by the way we got this rule wrong we'll fix it next time right just you know go go with the flow and be willing to be creative <laughs> right so the plot is more important than perfection yeah and, and then and then having fun at the game table is even more important than the than the plot yeah exactly yeah, good. Cool. So I thought, uh, speaking of plot, um, again, there's a really good example of a, an outline that a game master might write in order to prepare for their game. Again, not writing down every minute, minute detail, but having a general outline, which is cool. Um, and then in the chapter on season on season scale uh, storytelling, we talk about plot hooks. Mm-hmm. I did not write this section, so you must have written that. I don't know. But uh, let's talk about the different types of plot hills, hooks that are highlighted in this chapter. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, and another another writer wrote this. Uh, Jack uh, Jack Iger wrote a lot of this, and I uh, incorporated it, plus, you know, some of my own thoughts on this. But there, there's so many different, like, and, and this all harkens over to uh, not just fiction writing, but also screenplay writing in general, right? I mean, it's hooks are, hooks, hooks are important for storytelling. And especially for RPGs, because um, your characters bring hooks and your story brings hooks and the environment they're in brings hooks. And uh, you got like uh, you got active hooks, passive hooks, um, subplots, sidebars. There's just all kinds of little narrative tricks and, and hooks that you can bring into a game that that get the players interested and invested in what's happening that are either directly related to them and their characters or related to something else that maybe is important to them. And just by manipulating those hooks you can get different levels of involvement from different characters. And I think this, this really harkens to why I think it's important to have your entire group go through the life path together at session zero, 
because you're because as you work through that life path, every single step of the way is an opportunity for you to put a hook in. And and for a game, a smart game master would look at those and say, oh, this person did this in their early life. That's a hook I can drop into an episode at some point. And if the players are paying attention, they're going to catch it and I, I'll, I'll get them hooked. And then and then that carries into the uh, into the into the story. Good. So maybe for those who aren't familiar with the, you know, screenplay terms, we could use maybe motivation or triggers, right? Something yeah. that will kind of pull the person in. And as a game master, um, you, you'll find ways, you know, to do that. For instance, if one of your players is a botanist and you're trying to have them go down a certain direction in the forest, why not have them spot a rare flower that why would it exist on this planet? Yeah. You know, just something from their past to make them take that left turn you need to do. You don't mm-hmm. tell them. You decorate the scene and maybe you can drag them into the scene. Right, right. Yeah. And for the for the newer game masters, I would say uh, subplots, sidebars, you know, hooks, you don't necessarily need to worry about those. If you're running a one off or if you're running a, like a single episode or something, you know, it's not it's not that critical because you're not going to go anywhere with it. You're not you're, if you're not planning on continuing the story into multiple episodes, then you know it's not a big deal. But if you're a game master looking at running a season long story or a campaign, then subplots and, and sidebars, man, those are the those are the meat and potatoes that you can start dropping in because uh, you can run a scene in a, in an episode, right. And you've got like your main scene and they're trying to solve a problem. You could drop a hook in there and just like, have it be just like a passing, a passing mention or a character who happens to walk by or something. And you're like, Oh, what was that? That's kind of interesting. But then you get on with the main plot and then two, three episodes later, you can bring it up again. And the players are like, Oh, wait a minute. We remember that from a while back. And that's because you, you were dropping those seeds in as you were going. And I'll encourage to, I I could write a whole story about a whole (laughs) chapter on this, but don't trust the players to remember what you wrote. And it's not insulting. It's just, they have lives. And we as writers love our stuff more than anybody else does. We're our biggest fans, right? And critics. And so oftentimes when I bring back one of those points, like you said, another character coming by, since I play by Discord, which is in writing, Mm -hmm. I will actually set, this is the person who was seen two episodes ago. And coincidentally, they passed by and they're wearing something different. You know, I actually set that up. So I don't just put the point that so-and-so walked by. I, 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 as a game master in the universe, I fire their synapses to what, Mm -hmm. what happened before. And I, seen that that's been a really good way to get people like, oh, I do need to pay a little bit more attention to what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. All right, cool. So that was a lot in here. Anything else in this uh, chapter before we wrap up that you wanted to highlight? And the there's so many, there's so much gold. I I, I mean, you can't read the whole thing verbatim. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think we hit the highlights. Uh, We hit the key stuff. I mean, there's just a lot of information. I, I tried to put as much as in here as I could. And uh, I was really inspired, like uh, one of the gold standards for Star Trek, Star, Star Trek RPGs was the uh, the narrator toolkits that Last Unicorn Games put out for the original series game, the next gen game and the DS9 game. Um, those were really well written toolkits directly aimed at narrators or game masters. And those are, those are what, 20 something years old now. And there hasn't been something better f- specifically for Star Trek since then. And I was like, this is an opportunity for us to do something really good. And cool. Um, I don't know if it's better. I'll leave that up to the fans to decide. But uh, I think this was an opportunity for us to really, really hone in on like what makes Star Trek Adventures different, and how can you tell stories with the game with this game system to really bring Star Trek to your table. And uh, you know, hopefully, we did a good job. I I tried to drop in as many, like you were saying, those those nuggets of gold. Because like you know, I've been doing this for thirty some years now, and I know you've been doing it for a while. 
and just wanted to give you know new and experienced game masters just as much stuff to think about um yes. going uh, forward hey i have to say like i said i, I read it fresh again today i read mm-hmm. it i read it fresh again today i'm like oh i gotta remember to incorporate that i mean this is really as you said masters of game mastering coming by with their best practices yeah. to create emotion drama driven stories so for seasoned game masters new game masters it's one of my favorite chapters now in the book so um, really good and of course as we want to in every episode of continuing conversations we got to do shout outs one of the shout outs we want to do today is to um, one of the game shops at al spader uh, one of my players and also one of our writers uh, for star trek adventures um, he did a shout out for jet Pat Comics out of Rochester, New Hampshire. They've been in business for 15 years and been running tabletop sessions there for seven years. And of course, including Star Trek Adventures and that. So let's get a big shout out to Jetpack Comics in New Hampshire. And what about you, Jim? You want to give us some shout outs, our normal shout outs? Uh, I think the usual right now, I think uh, the last couple of months have been busy with uh, the production of various and sundry things. So I'll say, uh, Thank you. Actually, you know what? We haven't, I, I thank the usual suspects every episode. So how about I thank everybody at, um, and I'm totally going to ruin the pronunciation, but uh, Standar 2 is the uh, Lithuanian publisher, a printing house that does most of the printing for the Star Trek Adventures game. Um, they uh, they consistently put great product together. So I want to just say thank you to them uh, for all, and their entire team for all the hard work that they do um, year in, year out, not just on Star Trek Adventures, but like literally everything that Modiphius <laughs> prints, that's uh, at least in book format. Like a lot of the other stuff comes from uh, from uh, China and other manufacturers around the world. Uh, but Standard 2 in Lithuania, thumbs up. Great work. Let me give you a backup on that. The Shackleton Expanse, I've been digesting it for two months. I finally this week got the book in the mail and flipping through the feel of the pages, there's nothing like hard copies. So uh, thank you to Standard 2. I hope I pronounced that correct also. All right, me too. I hope so. <laughs> well, good. Great episode of Continuing Conversations, Jim. When we come together next time, whoo, boy, we're going to have a chapter on main engineering, reviewing chapter six of the GM Guide. So yeah. uh, everyone, thank you again for tuning in. I-D-I-C, Infinite Diversity, Infinite Combinations. Peace and long life.